to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I hope everybody is doing well. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I am your host. I am Jordan Porter, and I'm joined finally by the <laughs> Brandenburg. Wow, finally. It does feel like finally. Well, it's, been yes. a, it's been a while. Not that Bailey and I didn't have fun. It just wasn't the same. Oh my God. I was dying. I was like driving, <laughs> I was driving home from California, which sounds hilarious. And I was listening to you guys and I was dying. I was dying. I, it was, we definitely, it was hilarious. we definitely did better when we like, didn't talk about like a topic that she would know nothing about. <laughs> like, right, right. I just, her comments cracked me up. I was like, okay, all right. She's something right. else. I tried to get Connor to do it with me. And uh, like, cause the very first time he was like all upset that he couldn't. And I was like, buddy, you're just not going to understand like what we're talking about. But turns out Bailey didn't either. So, uh, <laughs> so then for the second one, I was like, Hey buddy, like you can join me on this one. Like you'll be good. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, Nope. And I walked away. I was like, all right, I guess not. <laughs> like, oh, that's awesome. Although like we did have several appearances of the roosters in the background and the baby chick in Bailey's hand. <laughs> I didn't hear the roosters, but I definitely heard the, the chicks. They oh, were really, they were really cute. I heard the roosters when I was editing. I was like, maybe it's because you knew where they were there. I don't remember yeah. hearing. Yeah, the chicks were pretty cute though. You're like, I don't know. Maybe we'll hear them, and I'm like, oh, we hear them. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the one time, like towards the end of that episode, like the chick was like right here next to my. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, she really enjoys doing it, but like. She, yeah, she just needs to be like prodded to be engaged a little bit. Like, well, I don't blame her. I mean, it's it's hard when um, I don't know. It's hard when like it's just you know you've never done it before and it's a topic that you're not used to. I mean, well, then like I had to change gears too and like make it so a sixth grader would understand. <laughs> so I was like, ah, <laughs> was like, right. Um. <clears throat> yeah, but it was it was fun listening to you guys. Um, so if you guys haven't heard those episodes, I know the information may not be what you want to hear, but um, it's definitely worth it to hear Jordan and Bailey. So that's my else. that's my promotion of it. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we're we're still considering homeschooling, and just... <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, Put your percentage is down, child. Come on. <laughs> oh my God. That was funny. I was like, what? <laughs> I know. And it's so funny. Cause I was like, uh, I made my friend listen to it too. And she's like, I probably wouldn't have known that percentage. I was like, you wouldn't have known like whatever it was like 23 out of a hundred. And I was like, come on now. <laughs> oh my God, That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, um, you've been busy. Yeah. Yeah. It's at least it, I, it has been, it has been insane. Like this is the, this weekend. So, cause we're, this is Saturday morning. This is the first weekend I've had in, at, uh, I don't even know, like months. I feel like that I don't have to do a ton of stuff. 
Um, I'll just do the quick rundown. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, sold our house. Did the first move up to Oregon from San Francisco Bay Area um, to uh, get, to get up here on a Thursday. Saturday morning, I left for Tennessee for a conference. Came back Sunday. Monday, we drove back down to the Bay Area to get the last of our stuff and to move like cars and stuff like that. So that was Monday. Was back up here by Wednesday or Thursday. I don't even know at this point. Pretty sure it was Thursday. Drove back up here and then had a week where I think, oh God, it's so crazy. So then we were up here trying to move, trying to do all stuff. We were in the Airbnb. Then we actually moved into the house. So I was dealing with cats and all that. By the way, moving with cats, insane. I, I It's totally insane. We need to have somebody come on and do an episode of how to move with cats. Because it is, it is a thing. I mean, it wasn't that much fun moving with all of our dogs either, but <laughs> right. Because at that time we had all the puppies still. Oh, that's right. Like all but like maybe four of them. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah, and then I have like Tabitha a week. Has good tips for how to travel with cats, like move with cats. Oh, I bet she does. Yeah, I yeah, and I should have reached out, but I was like, it is, dude. It. <laughs> I was like, I don't have time to like be proactively training everybody right now oh so yeah so three cats got gabapentin and three cats did not because they didn't want to eat it and I was like well this will be fun but actually they surprisingly did okay um I think I did as okay as is was possible mm-hmm. um and I think part of it too is like we made sure to keep as much of their stuff around till last and then set it up first kind of thing so um I think that really helped but and then um I was here for like a week and then I drove back down to the bay area to do training for a week at my so I stayed with my best friend for a week Mm -hmm. and then I came back up here and yeah it yeah so I'm I'm really looking forward to this weekend be kind being kind of chill um, we were supposed to go to a tractor store today. You would, you would be excited about this. Um, but there was a winter storm warning. So yuck. I don't know if we want to do it because it's like a, it's like an hour and a half drive from here that the place that we were going to, mm-hmm. um, and I really think it's, there's going to be a lot of snow. So I don't think we're going to do it. Like we're just gonna find some stuff locally to do this weekend. Um but yeah, yeah. And there's been snow here. Um there's been a couple times where I've woken up and I'm like, it's snowing. It like feels like Christmas. It's hilarious. I'm just like, oh my gosh. But it melts by like noon and then is like a pretty sunny day afterwards it's so weird i'm just like i don't understand the weather but okay this right i don't have to get used to the weather and the cats are loving it like they're they're like there's turkeys outside and deer and 
birds and bugs and they're just like they run through all the windows <laughs> it's pretty oh, i funny. bet they love all the windows oh yeah they're yes <laughs> um so i do apologize um if you hear the sound of elephants because they literally will tear from because i'm upstairs they'll they'll tear from upstairs go down the stairway into the living room run around the living room and then come back up the like it's they get the zoomies and it's insane now. Like it's so funny. That's so cute. My new yeah. baby goats got the zoomies for like the first time the other day. And like, uh... the baby, like, and then, so it got my older goats, um, feeling frisky too. So <laughs> the way they were like parkour jumping through the air was crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh yeah. Animals when they get the zoomies, man, whew, watch out. <laughs> Tell me about it. Like, oh but it's so cute (laughs) (laughs) i feel like we could do like a whole other podcast about like our interesting like places that we're living now (laughs) because i'll be able to relate to you better now (laughs) i know get some chickens and some quail yeah we've talked about it you have to come see the kennels and everything that are here like it's dude it's crazy I like finally went in there and I was like, oh, this is like legit. Like, it's nice. Like, I'm pretty sure I could like hose it down and like disinfect it. Like, that's how nice it is. Like, it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I haven't even seen our entire property yet. Like, is that sad? Kind of. I'm like, it's been raining and snowing and like, I don't have like anything I mean, to go okay, in the that's, woods. That's yeah. <laughs> you, like when you buy that kind of property, you got to like first buy boots, like rain boots, like actual yeah. cute rain boots. Like, yeah, I've looked, you know, I've looked for them. Um, I've looked for some rain boots. We're actually talking about getting like a, I don't know. What is it? A side-by-side or oh, I don't even know. Something like so bad or a gator. What's a gator? It's the same thing as a side by side. Oh, okay. I'm like, what? Yeah. But today was supposed to be get a tractor so that we can deal because like with all the rain and everything, like stuff's kind of moved around a little bit that like we have to put gravel back. Like it's a whole thing. Apparently it's a whole thing now. Yeah. Well Yeah, I know, right? Property did, living. I would say, yeah, you definitely moved from like a very small very very large space you like skipped a step I know I did skip a step yeah I was I was thinking about it the other day like our house our property like down in the bay area we had a tree on the property and I planted it so it was like seven feet tall and I'm like huh I have significantly more trees now (laughs) I'm like okay Oh my God. Did I, so I, I haven't told you actually, um, because I, I know we haven't seen each other. Oh, uh, I know we got to start talking about the episode here soon, but I just want to share <laughs> with everybody that there is something called a pineapple pear tree, which I bought. Um, and it produces pears that taste like pineapples. What? Yep. That's kind of cool. I bought it from the Arbor Day Foundation, which they have a oh. sale, like on there, like really nice looking trees. And the tree that got delivered yesterday is in great condition. Nice. Isn't Arbor Day coming up soon? I don't know. Probably. Seems. Or, like- or I'm thinking Earth Day. I know Earth Day is coming up soon. I mean, I'm sure Arbor Day is coming up soon. Like, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> Let's see. Arbor Day is Friday, April 28th. See, I was close. 
Come at least I'm in the right month. <laughs> so Earth oh, Day is April twenty second. I know stuff about some stuff apparently that I shouldn't know about, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm super excited because I planted that tree in a pot yesterday. And so nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't had I haven't had time to buy like plants yet. I'm still trying to get like kitchen towels and bathroom towels and garbage cans and you know boring house stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I told Matt like you know when you're like an adult and like you get excited when people gift you like cleaning supplies and like 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 adult things like you're like ugh. you get excited about a new vacuum and stuff yeah Uh so funny because I like I've told my husband I'm like yeah I just want a new vacuum or I want new pots and pans or something he's always like I think this is a trap and I'm like it's actually not like it's just (laughs) (laughs) but like now I've reached the point where like I told him I was like I only want people to gift me like homesteading stuff and like trees and like (laughs) like fruit trees specifically like fruits and nuts and stuff and um mm-hmm. I was like that's I feel like that's the point I'm at in my life now is that it's what I want for gift. Oh, all right. and like an apple tree I want a cherry tree an apple tree a pecan tree like I have a list how big of a space do you have well we don't plan on like staying here forever so all these trees are just going in pots so I can take them with me wherever I'm oh uh, okay I was like because right now, because Kevin and I were talking about this, like how much, how big is your acres. place? It's two acres. Okay. I thought it was five for some reason. My brother's is five. Yeah, I don't care about your brother. And my dad's. <laughs> so, I got so what did you do yesterday? So yesterday, yesterday was actually, it was kind of cool. Like I did the Oregon Veterinary Medical Association conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I just randomly, I don't even remember how they found me, but um it was cool. I got to do it. And I, I, I mean, I did six lectures. So my brain was a little mush at the end of the day, but it was, it was really cool. And it was virtual and the platform they were using was like super cool. Like it can interact with people and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I was excited to be like, yay, my home state now. And, uh, right. you know, it's been less than a month, but it's fine. It's my home state now. <laughs> So yeah, so that was cool. Got to do that. But I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of excited that I do have uh, I think two months now of just get things together. Like I don't have a conference for another two months, which is kind of nice. Well, I'm sure just, it's needed right now. Yeah, yeah. You need a little break for 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 a little bit. Catch up on some stuff. The spring was um, a little intense. <laughs> So, but well, yeah. speaking of getting back on track, this week we are talking about ringworm, fungus. We kind of went from like parasites to it's like a it's like it's like a, infectious it's things, yeah. <laughs> um, well, and I think a lot of people think it's actually a worm, and it's not, which is crazy. I don't know why they call it the ringworm. So weird exactly why you just said because people thought it looked like a true worm under the skin and and it forms like a well in humans it forms a nice circular lesion 
um, hence the word ring. And then it looks like a worm under the skin because it's raised generally. But uh, animals don't actually get that same appearance all the time. Really? Uh, yeah, not well, all. Oh, no, I guess, I guess not. Yeah, huh. they don't get that, like, I mean, like, you can get that, like, typical, like, ring look. But it's just not the same as in humans where you get that, like, raised circular lesion i personally think it looks like sometimes it can look like a like a cigarette burn <laughs> like, not that i've ever done that i'm just saying like because like on so, people yeah. yeah yeah no i totally get what you mean by that yeah i've seen movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway uh so we're gonna be talking about ringworm or dermatophytosis which i haven't <laughs> heard that freaking word in so long seriously um but it's a superficial skin infection right it's a fungi um called dermatophytes and again the more scientific correct name for ringworm is dermatophytosis but Mm. we're going to be calling it ringworm for today because i feel like if i say dermatophytosis too often it's just gonna like sound too smart yeah (laughs) um so the this specific fungi though it it's delicious it feeds upon dead skin cells of uh well not just skin cells also hair cells and then in people it causes that classic round red lesion with a ring of scale around the edges so again where the word ringworm comes from um but typically in the center of the lesion there is normal recovering skin um in animals mm. though, it frequently will look like dry and gray and scaly and patchy um, but it can also mimic other skin lesions and have any appearance. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, there is a there's like a little tidbit further down where it basically says like a lot of people will falsely diagnose ringworm um, just based on appearance and stuff like that when it, it really can be just like dermatitis or. Oh, uh, I can understand that. that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things where, well, I guess it's, it's not overly like safe to treat, right? Like if we're going to use systemic oral or antifungals, but, um, cause those aren't like the safest drugs. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. Um, but this disease is more common in young animals, especially stressed individuals, such as those in very crowded environments, like hoarding situations or shelters. Yeah. That. Uh, I actually learned that having like a secondary disease such as FELV or FIV status does not actually predispose cats to getting this infection. Um, same with dogs. They're not technically predisposed and it's, it's not necessarily the, like the underlying immune suppression, like cause causing, um, ailment that can lead to developing ringworm it's more of that stress so i mean like which makes sense right like because if you mm, got it like stressed yeah. out animals have those increased cortisol levels which does suppress the immune system but it's not like if a pet has diabetes like mm, <laughs> really more predisposed it's just a stressful event that can predispose them um mm. There's different pathogens. The one that we see most often is going to be microsporum canis because this affects mm-hmm. cats and dogs and other large animals. Um, these words, you can go ahead and say. Trichophyton mentagrophytes. mentagrophytes. <laughs> um, I'm guessing this is uh, trichophyton varicosum. 
mm-hmm. and trichophyton <laughs> aranaceae. Aranaceae. Those ones yeah. affect hedgehogs. Yeah, this is why I don't know them because they affect hedgehogs. <laughs> I love hedgehogs though. They're cute, but I just I don't deal with them. No, I know. Yeah. Um, and then this last one is Microsporum gypsum. Um, and this is like a, a type of organism fungus that lives in the soil, but it can cause inflammatory lesions too. Um prevalence of ringworm is pretty difficult to determine just because yeah. it's hard. Although it's a zoonotic disease, right? It's not a reportable disease in pets. Like just because a pet has ringworm doesn't mean we need to report that. Right. Uh, so therefore finding out prevalence just can't, like it just doesn't happen right now. Um, but there are a lot of studies reporting prevalence like around certain areas, but it doesn't distinguish between like fomite carrying or true infection. Mm, okay, okay. It's a difference, so... Yeah. But overall, ringworms technically considered a pretty uncommon disease just because with the current reported prevalence of this disease, because we don't have to report it, um, it's less than 4% of all skin disorders seen in clinic right now. Again, that number oh, wow. might, that yeah. number would probably increase if we actually reported on this, but we don't. So right. Um, and again, like I don't know. I don't I I don't, I've definitely seen ringworm in practice, but I don't think I've seen a ton of it. Yeah, I I agree. Like, I don't, because it's it's, not like I go, oh yeah, there's so much more than that. Like it does, it's not super obvious, you know? Yeah. And then we always test for it and it comes back negative and we're like, oh, well, okay, cool. Yeah. And I think that's it too. Or there's ones that we don't test, right? And we just like, if we happen to be, well, okay. The other thing though, too, is ringworm's can be it, it's self-limiting technically like it's so it's for, like, for most animals you so it's like if we do treat like a pyoderma or a dermatitis right like and then it is actually ringworm but then it just goes away because the brain no longer stressed and like and like the humans just aren't susceptible to getting it like it's you know i feel like it yeah happens. anyway uh, although ringworm is contagious, transmission usually occurs by direct contact with a fungus. A lot of people who work in vet med probably know this. I've had ringworm. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I know who in my house like gets ringworm and who doesn't. Like me and Bailey get ringworm, but like the boys don't get ringworm. <laughs> oh, interesting. I I've never had it. Yeah, so you're probably just and I've ringworm. been around it for sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. definitely seen people- it. Just like pets, right? There's some people who like will get covered in it. And then there's Yeah, I know like, people who like the 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 animal will like come in through the building and they're like, no, no, I'm gonna get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've had people like that I've worked with who like got it on their forehead or their face <sighs> like that. And I'm like, Dang. luckily, anytime I've ever had it, I've only ever had like one or two lesions on my arm. It's never been significant. Not on well, I don't work in practice anymore, but like not right. <laughs> um but it, like I said, it is pre- it's very contagious. It can be passed by direct contact with an infected animal or person, or even by touching contaminated surfaces and objects. So, yeah. very contagious. Um, lesion development, though, does typically require a sufficient amount of spores, infective spores, particularly, and usually microtrauma to the skin and moisture to the skin. So, it does need like a specific 
type of like environment on the skin in order to actually become infective. And in in- I mean, that makes sense. Like if you're thinking about like, it's a fungus, mm-hmm. right? So it needs that moist. <laughs> yep. Moist area. Yeah. I don't have to say it like that. I think it's funny. You're cringing a lot of people. I know I am. It makes makes me laugh because you guys have made me talk about parasites for so long. You can hear me say moist. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So these dermatophyte spores, though, they can germinate and then start invading the skin and hair shafts within six to eight hours under ideal conditions. So dang, that's quick. I know, like within twelve hours, you already have like lesion. Like you're like, holy crap! (laughs) Like, um. Which makes sense. Again, that's under like perfect conditions, right? Like, yeah. A tiny. I mean, fungus like, can grow pretty quickly, so it totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And then, but these fungal spores too can remain dormant on things like combs and brushes and and furniture and bedding and carpet, food bowls, or any other environmental surfaces for up to eighteen months. That's crazy that it they can survive that long. Yeah. So the fungus is just sitting there and waiting for you to get some little micro cut on your arm and be like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> yes. I've done it. Um, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, that is pretty crazy, right? That like, oh, that would suck. I mean, that's how reinfection occurs, right? Like, we yeah. clean the environment very well. Bummer. Uh, clinical signs though can vary, but usually what we're going to see is a combination of hair loss, scaling, crusting. Sometimes we can see some erythema, some papules, uh, we can see puritis and hyperpigmentation in dogs. We can see nodular lesions that can develop, um, in particular Persian cats. It's always Persian cats. That's because they're susceptible to everything. They really are. (laughs) Like, uh, they can also develop nodular lesions, and then some cats can also develop like an exudative paronychia. Is that nail beds? That I don't know. It sounds discharge Yep, yeah, that is a nail bed. Look at that. Look at you. Um, yeah, I was gonna say. I think I've I've heard of it. Um, have I don't know if I've seen it, but could you imagine like the nail beds are like oozing? Like, how uncomfortable is that? Well, that and, like, to be itchy around there, too. Oh, itchy on your fingertips? That sounds horrible. Or kitties. Um, Sometimes we can even see, like, pus um, that can mimic clinical signs of dermatophytosis. So, again, when we talk about differentials here, like, we have pyoderma hotspots, like, allergies... Yeah, this is <laughs> this is why you go to a dermatologist and they can do all this stuff because I don't I don't want to deal with skin. You stuff. think a dermatologist is seeing ringworm? I mean, I'm sure they do see ringworm, yep. but probably not like the typical ringworm. No, but I mean, I would just be like, go, 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 go there. I don't want to deal with skin stuff. <laughs> you can do your lime sulfur dips in there. <laughs> Right. Oh god. I oh, I haven't smelled that in forever. Thank God. Ugh. I know. I don't miss it. Mm-mm. Anyway, there's several different ways to diagnose ringworm. Um, typically direct examination, usually of the like crusting, scalingness, and the hairs. Um, 
or skin biopsy are only are the only two diagnostic tests that can confirm invasion of the skin and hair follicles. But that again just confirms like ringworm, but skin biopsy isn't done very often. We'll talk about it. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, wow, skin bi. I mean, I can see like if it's a funky lesion that's not healing, maybe a skin biopsy. But I don't, I don't feel like that's the first thing we go to. No, and I kind of put it down here a little bit. But skin biopsy is usually not indicated for like routine cases. Of right. Yeah. Ringworm. So it's going to be those ringworm lesions that we can't seem to clear, or typically, if we're doing a skin biopsy, it's because we're trying to rule out something else. Like. Right. Yeah. Um, but technically a skin biopsy is like one of the true diagnostic testing. That makes sense. Um, bacterial pyoderma though, as I stated above, is usually really common in dogs and often misdiagnosed as ringworm. Um, mm-hmm. maybe because it's self-limiting and <laughs> like it just, it goes away with quote unquote treatment, but it just goes away on its own. Um, Recent evidence, though, did show that the gold standard for diagnosis is two different tests. Uh, Basically, we want to test to confirm the presence of a true active infection, right? And Mm -hmm. um, this is usually to help make like an informed decision, right? Like treat or to not treat uh, and like let it go on its own. If we need to quarantine the pet, we need to euthanize the pet. If there's like a bunch of other stuff going on and we feel like the ringworm is just going to like the top of the cake where we just can't quite get everything under control. Um, Yeah. And then also testing to confirm the absence of an active infection, right? So we just want to make sure that there's no zoonotic risk um, and that the animal's cured. So usually Mm. those are going to be the two times where it's gold standard to really test for a diagnosis. Usually we're going to do like a direct examination of the hair and the flakes of skin that have been plucked from the lesions. We can usually mount those in mineral oil and oftentimes confirm infection in greater than 85% of cases which is crazy. And then of course we can use a wood, a wood lamp. Um, that one specifically finds microsporum canis, um, in infected hairs. That's, that's key, right? You're looking at the hairs and not the crust. Yeah. Um, So you're, you want to pull back those crusty lesions and see if the, the hairs are glowing like this fluorescent apple green color. Mm -hmm. Um, only the hair shafts glow, not the crust. So again, important to really make sure that you kind of safely with gloves on, pick away those crusts and try to look at the hair follicles. Um, fungal cultures can determine whether spores are present on the hair coat. And sometimes we use fungal culture in conjunction with like clinical exam findings. It's best to sample only the lesions though, and not like the entire hair coat, um, which who's going to do that. But I mean, I mean, like, yes, I know people who have pulled from normal hair and like infected hair, but when like they say like the entire hair coat should not be sampled when doing this test, I picture like literally like every section of a dog being plucked <laughs> like, um and then there is pcr testing as well and this can mm. be the presence or absence of fungal dna on the hair coat uh but it can't distinguish between like viable and non-viable spores so although it might come up positive with like technically fungal dna on the hair coat it's not going to tell you whether or not that dna is actually capable of infecting a pet hmm 
So that's why it's not used very often. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like if you're, if it's on the hair coat, like it's in the environment, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't technically mean the patient's infected. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. Gotta love these. Right. Well, and unfortunately fungus is one of those things. Like it's, it's around everywhere. Like you're like, like I think of like aspergillus, right? Like technically it's everywhere. It's just whether or not it infects an animal. Um, but out of all the funguses, it's an environment (laughs) out of all of them, you'd rather have ringworm. Is that what you said? Yeah. Like if I had a choice, like if I had to have a fungal infection, I would take ringworm. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. All the others are too dangerous. Like they can, I'm like, Oh, you (laughs) give them the skin. Oh no, that's it. Oh no. Versus sinuses and pain and CNS. Ugh. No. no lungs and all sorts of stuff yeah no thanks yeah what if what if though what if ringworm mutates one day and just like does develop into this like internal disease that's when they make a movie out of it <laughs> yeah be like some quarantine movie uh-huh i'm starting to itch just thinking about it like ooh, ooh. i know sorry. i'm sorry Treatment's pretty easy though, again, which is why I would rather have the fungus out of all of them in case anybody cared. Um, Because again, this is usually a self-curing disease and will often resolve without treatment um, in most healthy animals. Infections that are in animals that are sick, right? Like significantly ill or under physiological stress is the key right here. Um, or have some underlying other disease such as diabetes or Cushing's disease. It can't, although it doesn't make them more susceptible to developing it, like it, the stress part does, but like the disease itself, like FELV, FIV, doesn't make them more susceptible to developing it. Um, it does make it more difficult to treat. Mm, mm-hmm. Because we lose that body's ability to help us fight the infection as well. So uh usually in animals that we are treating though we're going to try to utilize a systemic antifungal to try to eliminate the active infection in the hair follicles right because it's in the it's in the hair follicles um oftentimes we can treat these guys with a shorter course um or we can treat these guys to shorten the course of the disease and minimize zoonosis to other animals or people but um again that's just because I feel like that's the world we live in, right? Like if people were comfortable with just letting their cats like kind of quarantine and self-limit their own disease, <laughs> just because, I don't know. I have this thing about antifungal drugs. Like they're just not safe in my opinion. Like, right. you know, so it's just like, I, if I had a choice and I had like a one-year-old dog with it, I would just try to keep them separate and like maybe try like topical stuff. But that's yeah, just my I mean, personal opinion. And yeah, I mean, it's one of those, like if you're, using it responsibly and yeah but but yeah you do have to keep a close eye on them yeah and it's like it's so hard on the gut like that's I think what gets me anyway cats (sighs) usually are treated with itraconazole and usually we do like pulse therapy of itraconazole in cats so it's usually like a week on a week off schedule Mm. and a lot of those infections will resolve after three or four cycles which I question because I'm like is it resolving from the itraconazole week on a week off or is it resolving on its own well i think they're talking about like in the- hair follicle infection you know what yeah, i mean versus 
That's true. Cause it does take a couple of weeks to really get down, <laughs> down, yeah. there, you know, um, <clears throat> small dogs can be treated with oral itraconazole as well. Um, same thing in small dogs though. Pulse therapy is usually pretty effective, but it's not been documented. And then other dogs, larger dogs typically are treated with ketoconazole or terbinafine. Um, ketoconazole is usually what I have seen used in the past. Again, those drugs though really do like upset the gut. So mm. um, just make sure that clients are aware of that potential side effect. Topical therapy though, usually is required um, as well, just to help disinfect the hair coat. And this is mm, right. because these infective spores are usually, they're the source of transmission, right? They're the source of spreading this disease. So disinfection minimizes that environmental contamination. Um, and with disinfection, because we need to do the entire hair coat, it's usually going to be a whole body rinse of lime sulfur, or um, I've never heard of this one, inilconazole. Um, yeah, I haven't heard that one either. I'm assuming that might be like the UK kind of thing. Uh, and that can be used twice a week. And um, some people too use like shampoos containing like 2% chlorhexidine and 2% myconazole. This mm -hmm. has been shown to be effective, uh, but sometimes it's the only option available where in countries where lime sulfur is not available. Um, this shampoo therapy does not have residual activity compared to like lime sulfur in it and milconazole. Mm -hmm do have like residual activity that'll like stay on hair. I mean, if you've done a lime sulfur, like that smell lingers. <laughs> like Yeah. We haven't done a ton of those just because we do have like some of the other therapies that we'll use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And even if systemic therapy is stopped, usually, like I said, topical therapy should be continued until a cure is demonstrated. So what that means is until you can actually test the hair follicle and prove that there's no more fungus left, yeah. uh, which will probably be a couple weeks. I think that's the thing though, too, that people need to understand is like, although the lesion may like disappear in a week or two, like ringworm itself might not disappear in a week or two. Right. Yeah. Sometimes too, for lesions, like around the face and the ears and stuff like that, uh, over the counter, my, uh, my conazole, cream can also be safely used. Um, like products that like for the ears, like products that contain clotrimazole or myconazole chlorhexidine, or like a ketoconazole chlorhexidine combination, um, that can help too. Yep. So there's lots of like nice topical options, which I prefer. Um, when it comes to client communication too, for these guys, again, telling members or telling members, telling clients that this is zoonotic, they can develop lesions. They might not develop lesions, but they can. Also, we don't do humans, right? Like if they develop a lesion, they need to go to their human doctor. We should not be giving advice to people. Although as techs, I know that we've all treated ourselves for ringworm. For got <laughs> it. I also am guilty, but I do tell other people, human people to go to the doctor. <laughs> um, Transmission again, though, these people need to be aware that it is direct contact with an infected animal, but minimal exposure does, or like exposure in general does not always result in disease. The environment though does need to be clean because uh, they can still collect or they can still transmit from the environment. Um, Micro trauma though, usually is needed to the skin. So this involves like clipping of the hair. So like contaminated clippers 
too. They yeah. Um, because right. We get those little micro cuts in the skin too. And then infected animals really should be kept isolated from other pets until there's like a true like clinical cure of the disease. Um, a couple of cautions that I wanted to throw in here, just because again, oral antifungals make me nervous. Heated mm. should not be used in cats because it does cause anorexia. Uh, fluconazole should not be used because it is considered the least effective drug for ringworm. Fusiofulvin mm. is no longer recommended because triconazole and terbinafine are just better at treating this medic or treating this disease. And then uh, lufineron is also considered an ineffective treatment. So it does not work for ringworm. Out of all the antifungals, um, which I think that's the one that I was on for, like, I don't know, my, some of my cat stuff. Um, otherwise, that's all I got for you guys on ringworm. Ugh. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't think you get it. So. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not, right? Hopefully maybe, I'm not, maybe, like, some like Maybe you would if you came across it, like, right now, because you've been extremely stressed lately. <laughs> that would suck Ooh. all right guys well thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning i hope everybody has a fantastic week uh we will chat with you all next week Woo-hoo. have a good week guys bye, bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.